Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. You are back in the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. On the other side of the country, we've got the Nor'easter Martino. I'm here. Mar- Nor'easter Martini. <laughs> drinking martinis while there's a Nor'easter. Well, I'm shoveling. Oh, your wife's shoveling. Come on. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know what's going. I know what's going on at that house. You're you're making the cocktails, and uh, sitting with the cat, and she's shoveling and doing it all. Well, at least I'm making the cocktails. Well, yeah, <laughs> got, got to do something. Someone's got to do it, right? That's right. You know, another day, another day, and all this weird. Hey, the stuff cocktails going. aren't going to make themselves. No, well, that's true. You know, you got to train the cat. That's a good idea. You know. I mean, I, like what, I mean, come on. At least the dog can go get my beer. Like, what's your cat going to do? What can your cat do? Nothing. Well, see? Well, I'm telling you. Get, get on it. You know? Um, okay. So, anyway, the week continues, and uh, now we are uh, visiting Washington State. And we're going to talk to an author there who's uh, on uh, Wild Blue Press. Well, there you go. I did two books with Wild Blue Press. Years ago. Yeah, I remember them. Uh, anyway, so Mr. Uh, Terry Person, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, we'll see if you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> yes, so far. Maybe I should have said that. So far, I really appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, it's as good as it gets now. So bumpy ride ahead here. Your book is called The Right Thing, uh, the new one. Um, but it looks like you've uh, so you've got history in writing, and you've done some. You've been a winner of the book 
Excellence Awards in Science Fiction category. So are you like, do you consider yourself a science fiction writer in general? Actually, I've always been like this um, kind of, I don't know, anything that shows up kind of writer. Um, So I've written everything from, you know, mysteries and thrillers to science fiction, fantasy and general fiction and um, just a little bit of everything. I think the point was, is I had a regular job (laughs) and still have most of the time. And uh, it allows me to kind of play with things. Um, There's a quote I read recently. Actually, I think it was in um, In Search of Spencer, where uh, one of the essays in there was said something about they they see genre jumping, if you will, um, as kind of a crop rotation. So that while one thing is laying fallow and and gaining more momentum, the other thing is being written. And I think that's how I look at it, because during a year, I'll probably write at least two novels and usually in different genres. Wow. So it's just kind of whatever uh, piques your interest at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if I get an idea from somewhere, you know, it'll stick with me for a while. I have, as everyone, probably you do too, um, ideas all over your computer and on your desktop and everywhere else. And, uh, you know, when it's time to write the next book, I just start reading through everything and see which one clicks. So, Yeah. Yeah, I do that. I mean, Dave, Dave's just got porno all over his. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good ideas there, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, writing in many genres, uh, has that been a, a challenge with publishers and your branding, or do you feel that works out better for you? Actually, it's been impossible. Um, it is really difficult <laughs> because, you know, all the agents that I have, I often will have two agents in different genres. Um, they all say the same thing that you're, you're talking about. They say, you know, please stick with one genre so... We can do this. But what they're asking for is the same book over and over again. You know, they call it, you know, the same book, only different. Um, mm. And that's hard to write. If you're a writer, you, I think your curiosity goes beyond that, that next book and the next book and the next book. You might explore right. a theme of, uh, for a couple books, maybe. Um, but you're more apt to explore the characters for a couple of books than the theme. And so I, I really, that kind of thing worries me. And when I, I do read a lot. And so some people can pull that off. They can write the same kind of book over and over and they're always good. But, um, it's just never been something that, that suited me. I wonder, maybe you can use a pseudo name. Like that's kind of what my idea is that, uh, so if you do one type of writing and then you do a different type, you have a different name. Yeah, that's really a great idea. And I know my daughter's a writer, too, and she does that. She's got um, two names right now, and she's looking at a third one for the same reason, so that she's not um, all over the place. And so when people go there, they know what they're to expect from her. And so I've I've thought about that in the past. Um, because I've written so many right now with my own name, it's kind of muddied the waters a little. But she keeps reminding me that it's not ever too late to go back and repackage those books with a different name. Um, and, and maybe that would work. I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, I would. I would. At this point, I would. That's my my thought of it because, um, you know, because you look at any branding, you look at that in, in music, you look at movies, you look at in any type of thing. you get got a movie star that's doing something, some sort of style of, you know, action adventure, and then all of a sudden they do romantic, and it's like people are like, you can't do that, or, you know, and then the fans will direct you, just like musicians, you know, you get a band and they decide to do a country album all of a sudden, you know, and the fans get mad, or that that's no good, or why, you know, who's he think he is? People think they know you, and they tend to put what they think you should do or be with your brand, so I, I do. I think if you're going to pursue... Uh, a lot of other styles of writing, I would use a whole new brand. Okay, that sounds good. It's just a little bit more work when you're talking about, you know, all your different platforms that you need to be on. Um, yeah. Probably more than one website. Um, so you think that would be valuable? Well, you know, I almost would think that you could almost get away with it because I'm, I'm going to get into fiction, some of the fiction writing here, mm-hmm. but I'm going to use a different name. But I don't know that um, I need to get to a whole new website rather than just a page on the website. Oh, that's true. You know, uh, and plus I think I sort of think websites are kind of getting into the past. Oh, what do you think the the new way of getting to reach people? uh, Just social media. People are just moving on, and I'm getting a lot less traffic on, on websites than ever before and i'm hearing this from a lot of people and some people aren't even doing them mm-hmm. younger newer writers are, aren't even doing it they would rather do a tiktok than a website huh. yeah you know which is kind of it seems out of strange to someone probably our age and it is but it's just what young people are doing so it's something you have to keep in mind that um it's very fluid um the consumer base is fluid and the readers and and technology is changing so you, you try to keep in, in, involved in it as best you can, but I don't know that. Um, oh, it's, a, it's a strange world. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Um, it's moving so fast and so back and forth, and you, you never know what you're to expect, I guess. Yeah, and I would think, you know, because also I would think it's confusing. I know what you're saying, but I know we've had come across writers like Miles Cameron, who has another name, who writes, you know, science fiction, and then he writes uh, fantasy, and he writes all these different types under different names. But when you go to um, his website, or if you go to his even his Facebook, it's just one name, and he just promotes all of the stuff he does, and it seems to be okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it that doesn't seem to make sense to me. But again, it might just be the generation thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that you sounds know. like a good idea, though. Yeah. So. Um, so far, too, I, I got to do a shout-out to uh, Wild Blue Press. They they have really worked hard and have done a really nice job of, of editing and proofreading and helping with uh, marketing and everything else. Uh, I've worked with small independent publishers for a long time, and uh, these guys are one of the best. I, I, Steve Jackson's very efficient. He's very thorough. He's a very good um editor publisher himself mm-hmm. and he, there is some good definitely i will say the editing team's pretty good and uh, and they're very thorough so now let's talk about your book the right thing what is the right thing this detective who's trying to decide what's what's the right thing to do with each one of these people because they all have done something wrong um they've all 
Um, so part of it's moralistic and part of it's, you know, actual criminal. And it's a matter of, you know, um, were they coerced to do it? Were they, you know, all these other factors that come in when you do a crime. Um, and he's trying to somehow determine what's, what's right and what's wrong so that he can interact that way. So that he can help people who he thinks are, uh, did the crime because they were coerced and other people put them in jail. Um, so it's kind of that, that moralistic um, vague point that I was trying to play with. Yeah, that is an interesting point or thing to think about is um, about the right thing to do and, and what is um, a proper punishment for, for someone as well. That's, it's tough. Um, you deal in this book with a lot of the um, computer hackers and that, that sort of sort of world. Um, and that, that goes on a lot today, and it goes on in our world because computers are such a big part of our world. Um, how do you, I, I wonder how, how do you go about deciding what you're going to include in a book and what's realistic? Oh, I, I do um, a lot of technical articles and have talked to a lot of people um, in the cybersecurity field, um, as well as, you know, there's all kinds of reports out. Um, one of them, I think the Clarity Biannual Industrial Control System report says that in 2021, there were 637 vulnerabilities affecting uh, industrial controls, which is what I was covering basically as uh, part of the prison control system. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. 70% um, of them are considered critical. Um, so uh, it's a it's a big problem. And hackers do it for all kinds of different reasons. Um, some of them are altruistic and some of them are not. And so I was, again, yeah, I play with that, that whole idea. When when is it okay to do this? Um, is it ever okay? And, um, you know, what do you, how do you treat these people from one end to the other? You know, where do you, where do you stand on that moral ground? Um, it's pretty yeah. interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there, it gives, it's a lot of uncharted territory in a sense. Like a lot of people probably haven't given this a lot of thought. Or it's, there's so many other things going on in the world, plus there's, you know, working and keeping their life going and stuff. And I would imagine unless it, unless it affects you personally, you probably don't think about it too much. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, but I always consider when you look at um, the news and the government talks about being hacked somewhere or some big company is hacked, um, you have to realize that with all that money behind them, they can't stop the hackers. And so I look at all the um, online security, you know, methods that they use to try to keep you secure. And so I figure if the government can't do it, chances are my bank isn't going to be able to do it. You know, Walmart's not going to be able to do it. And I'm not going to be able to do it well enough here. The, the question is, um, is it worth coming into my computer and doing anything? Then what kind of information are they going to get from me? And chances are there's not enough. So there's a better chance that they're not going to try to reach me. 
but there are always hackers out there who just want to see how many places they can hack and how many computers can they get into, period. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a strange world, and everybody I talk to always comes up with stories that are just unbelievable about, um, you know, we've read. Um, anybody can watch me through my own cell phone. They can watch me through the television. Um, you know, it, there's just no, no getting away from it anymore. Well, do you have ethical hackers in, in the book? I do. Did you research that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I have, I, I have, when you say ethical, um, yeah, they have a good reason, if you will. Um, so I, I try to, like I said, I'm trying to balance all that out in my own head. And the best way for me to do that is through a novel and say, you know, how bad is this part really? And um, it's, it was an interesting thing for me to, to play with and, and start to think about because often I will make a rash judgment, you know, if it's against the law, it's against the law kind of thing. And yet you, you look at these people who have deep, deep feelings for why they're going about it. And, and you have to understand that, you know, their belief system is just as valid. It's just different than mine. And so um, a lot of a lot of the times I'm I'm playing with those moral issues. Well, in books, that's what we do. In a lot of times, does it um, concern you a little bit about the um, political correctness in 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 social media? Um, that you think about how you write characters or how you have them interact with each other? Does it play a role in your writing? I try not to let it. Um, of course, it's going to get in there um, at times because I read so much about what's happening. But I'm very conscious of if we don't if we don't explore all these different personalities, then we're probably not doing our job either. So, um, you know, there are there are all kinds of people out there, and they think in all different kinds of ways. And if we try to be too careful about what we're doing. Uh, we whitewash everybody out, and we be, we end up with um, bland characters and characters that don't have opinions and don't have belief systems. And I I try really hard not to let that bother me too much. Um, I do have a group of people who do beta reading for me, and if I'm a little harsh somewhere um, with my language or I don't understand. Um, you know, certain values, um, they usually tell me and I'll soften things, but I'm very careful to make sure that we still have these opinions in there anyway. Um, yeah, well, I think you have to. I think it's important. I, I um, you know, it, it, you know, we're human, so we've, we've got to go through these um, experiences, right? We've got to live through them. Um, I think it's important. Um, so your your main investigator, your investigator um, ten, I guess you call. Yeah. Um, now, how do you create a character like that? How did you decide on the personality, um, who he was going to be? Um, is there a lot of you in this character? Um, I never think there's much of me in any characters. Although you you know it's as a writer, you know it's coming through you. Um, 
But once I get a character's background and um, it's, it starts to feed into their personality and, and he'll do things that I would never do and, I'm, and you know, not do things I think he should do. Um, it's interesting. Uh, well, you know this because, you know, once you're inside the character's head, if your writing is flowing properly, you really aren't there. You're not there as a person. Um, so that that character somehow, and I hate the cliche that the character takes over, but it's kind of what happens. You, you start to see through the character's eyes, um, whether you've shifted the way you you think or not, that's a different story. And maybe at the end of the novel, you're thinking, well, that was interesting. And maybe I learned something here, but it's kind of like an actor. Um, if they get into the person they're acting, um, they should kind of disappear. And this other person shows up. When you're creating your characters, uh, can you, can you hear them? Do you have an inner monologue? Is that, is that something that how, how the characters uh, present themselves to you? really a good question. I don't think I've ever had anybody ask that question. Um, yeah, we're only getting started. Yeah, good. Good, I'm good. I'm glad. Um, you know, I think, not think, when I sit down to write, um, I kind of, I meditate ahead of time. And it, once I sit down to write and I become that character, I start to feel differently. Um, so that when I'm writing... Um, I can feel that character coming through. And and there are times when I can tell when I'm getting out of character um, is when I start to think, did I say that right? You know, or, or <laughs> you know, um, is he allowed to say that word in this book, right? And so as soon as I do that, I, I stop that and get back in there. I think one of the things I learned years ago is to shut down that, that internal editor, completely get it out of the way and just do the character. Afterward, when you go through the the rewrites and my beta readers and all that, then I can sit down and say, yeah, okay, we can make this clearer um, or maybe bump up the emotion a little bit by slowing it down or speeding it up or, you know, changing sentence structure, all those kind of things that start to come in during the rewrite. But that initial writing, um, I, I feel like that's that's who I am. All of a sudden, that's who I am. Um, does that kind of answer? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Do, do you dress up like the character, too? And <laughs> get right into it. Yeah, know. I do not do. Although I know a, I know a guy who does that. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. No, I know. We've interviewed people that have. Uh, will act like the character they'll dress like them they'll 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 live like them to get the feel of that character so i it's funny but there's people that do yeah oh, you, you know whatever works right whatever gets you to that page and gets it clear and um lets the stuff come out the way it's supposed to sure now now this now underneath the story so that you've got the storyline and the kind of the what's happening with with the characters and the moral judgments and stuff do you is there a subtext or is there something you want a reader to get out of your book that's that's not the main story but but at the end of the book 
they think about a certain subject or, or, or something other than the story? Yeah, I think if there's anything, um, I'm a firm believer in curiosity. And I think most of the time when I'm through with a novel, um, I want I want people to just think differently. Maybe that's it. Just just say, you know, maybe I looked at this a little bit from this angle instead of that angle, and question their own thoughts and values and belief system uh, to perhaps be open enough to change. I think books, novels, particularly, are written to open our minds, not close them, and so I usually. Not usually. I, I never have a, a specific theme that I, I'm trying to push through. I find in the when I first started writing years and years ago, um, I would do that. And it would come across as somebody pounding you over the head with information. And um, hopefully I don't do that anymore. Hopefully I, what I do is lay out the story and the characters so that whoever's reading it can can make their own judgments and be a little curious about why do why do I think this happened or that happened or, or would it would that character do the same thing under different circumstances and um, and just be more curious and open with their lives. How, how do you develop um, the character in the sense of like so you, you've got Ten who's you know his wife and unborn child were murdered. And so he's got emotional issues going on right now, and yet he's dealing with a, a partner, and you've got like a woman's prison break. Um, how how can you create that character so they seem real? Like, what is it that you do um, with yourself? Where, where does that come from, you think? I think, um, so the way I look at the world is that... Um, if you lead a very sheltered life and the worst thing that happens to you is you get a hangnail and uh, the best thing that happens to you is you've got a million dollars to spend. Um, that's no different than somebody who the worst thing that happens to them is they got beat up and the best thing that happens to them is they got a good meal. Um, within all of us, there is the worst thing and the best thing. And no matter what that is along the line, we get to write about that. And so for any character that I have, regardless of what, how deep either one of those goes, um, that's what they're working with. And so they're always working with these two ends of the spectrum within themselves. And as a human, um, I can do that on my own level. So maybe the worst thing that happened to Ken as his wife and child were killed. Maybe the worst thing that happened to me was that my dog got hit by a car. But I still have this feeling, this worst feeling in me, where I cried and I was upset and, you know, I watched it all happen and it was horrible, that I can pull from when when I'm trying to talk through 10. Um, now, again, I become that character but that's where the emotions come from is from me. I get that, um, you know, because it comes through me. But I still have the best and the worst that I can pull from. Um, 
hopefully, you know, when you're writing the novel, it comes across. So Maria Tanner, the the partner, um, so how how do you write um, a woman character like that? Well, we we might as well go there. So um, there's these are <laughs> are you dressed up and, and playing the role that's of the what, character? That's what I was it's expecting just, next. Yeah, the, it's yeah. The silk underwear. That what does it? Yeah, <laughs> well, whatever it takes, you know. That's right. Um, again, you know, I really think it's like being a schizophrenic actor, <laughs> so that every character somehow switches in your head while you're writing them. Um, and I, you know, we all have a feminine and a masculine side, whether we're male or female. I read female authors and they do male parts just as well as the male authors do. You know, there's just this something that I think happens to an author that when they're in that mode, that stuff shows up. If it doesn't show up, then you don't have you, you don't have the best story, or the character seems a little flat, or you have these people saying, you know, no woman would ever do that kind of kind of thing. And hopefully, my beta readers again they'll catch that stuff. So I have uh, women who will say, you you can't have her say this or do this because that's just not. Not the way we are, basically. Um, and you- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You have to take it with a grain of salt because people are every possible way you can imagine. Um, but you look at the book and you say, does that matter? Does it fit? Does it not fit? And then make that decision during the rewrites. And um, But getting into a woman's point of view, for me, is no different than getting into any other character's point of view. Um, and I've written, well, I've written fantasies and, um, you know, magical realism where I'm in, in a in a tree. You know, a tree comes through and talks. So I really don't know if I can explain it better than that. It's some kind of meditative state that just shifts from one thing to the other. Um, when it works, it works. When it doesn't work, then I don't publish that book <laughs> or don't send mm. it out. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I wonder, so when we talk about um, hackers and, and um, ransomware and all these different things going on that you see in the news and, and the world of, of hacking, um, how in touch do you think society is with what's real and what's not? And I mean that because there's so many movies, action movies, and all sorts of plays and stories out there about different things, you know, and and uh, the hackers are always really, really beautiful people with, you know, high heels and wearing a tight leather outfit, and <laughs> they can hack anything, and so there's, I think there's a real fantasy behind it as well. Um, do, do you think society, most people in general, kind of know what's realistic about that world? Really? I doubt it. You know, it reminds me of the uh, police shows on TV, how quickly something happens on the, in an hour that really takes a week, right? Um, yeah. Or longer, or much longer. Um, and the same thing with, I think, the hackers. Sometimes they show a hacker getting into some huge government site, you know, three minutes and Honestly, that's not happening out there. It takes try after try after try after try. And usually these people are, are coming at it from five different directions and, and just trying everything and anything, and it can take a long time. But you have enough people in the room doing that um, from all different directions, and somebody gets through, or maybe more than one person gets through. And the other thing that we that's interesting that I haven't seen I don't know if I've seen it at all. Um, it is chip replacement. Um, 
So we have a hardware chip that's got security on it. If we pull that chip out and put a different chip in, the security is gone. And that can be done in the plant. Um, so some guy putting that PC board together can change out a few chips and all of a sudden the security that they thought was there isn't there anymore. This is one of the things that concerns, I think, the government right now. They're doing all this uh, work with China saying, well, we can't let China's communication system here because uh, it's not so much just the matter of it's China, but the chips that are in our own systems, if they come from China, can possibly be um, tampered with. So we've got a lot of different angles to come at it. And I think the movies show the exciting parts of it. Um, and it's a little bit less exciting than that, maybe on the ground most of the time. But pretty much anything you can imagine can be done. I was just wondering, with the right thing, you know, how much of uh, the reality of hacking do you have to change for uh, the drama of the story? Or can you be a little bit more realistic in, um, b because it's in a, in a novel uh, format? Yeah, so um, when I talk to the guys in a couple of places who uh, are involved in cybersecurity, they kind of gave me some guidelines. And the one guy read the book and, and said, you, you can't say it this way. Or um, I, I wasn't able to get down to the um, code, for example. Not that I would want to in a book like that. How many people would want to even follow that? It's not a textbook. It's a novel. So I had to stick with some general methods that they use. Um, and as long as I did that, they were fine with it. Um, you know, I wasn't going down too deeply. I wouldn't be able to anyway. I would have had to ask them to sit down and say, okay, let's let's go through this code thing and how we go through it. I read, um, who was it? Dan, Dan Brown. I forget the novel title, but he had one that you know, there was some hacking going on and um, he did the same kind of thing. Uh, he was very careful about how he, how he talked about it and rightfully so. It, it would be really boring to get too deeply into it. Hmm. So where, where did the, the, um, idea for, for this book come from for you? It, it, was, it came from those articles. It came from talking to those people. Um, I did a couple of research papers with a company um, about all this, and the more I researched it and talked to them, the more I thought, wow, what, what would happen if we were somebody tried to hack the prison system? And how would they go about it? And I went through a couple of different ideas on how they would go about it and, and came up with the one that's in the book because that one seemed uh, easy enough to discuss, I guess. But it, a lot of the stuff I, I write come from the things I read. So I read science magazines, you know, Scientific American, ID, Discover Magazine, things like that. I, I try to go through them. Um, I read a book a week, so... I'm constantly reading um, different sci-fi and um, all kinds of things, you know, quantum mechanics, you name it. 
Um, and then because I'm researching and writing articles for trade journals, it, I've got all this information in there. And sometimes a couple of keys will, will come through and say, this would make an interesting idea. And that's, I wake up one morning, early in the morning, and come in here, and I start working. So, Did you put yourself in prison? To, to... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I have been in that prison um, years and years ago. In that fact, that's part of the reason why I used it. Um, years and years ago, I, when I was in high school, I was repairing air conditioners, believe it or not, and, uh, and washers and dryers and things like that, major appliances, and... Uh, the prison there in Muncie, I had to go there one time and um, repair. I don't even remember what it was I was there to repair. I just remember how nervous I was walking around there with all these women criminals, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, and I thought, you know what? I, I know how it felt to be there, so maybe maybe I'll use that. Um, and then my sister still lives up in that area, so I had her doing some research and reconnaissance for me and, you know, look at these streets and what does this look like and all that, um, the weather, how it felt to her. Uh, so, yeah, you, you do your research everywhere you possibly can, um, and, yeah, you pull all the things together. It was an interesting thing to do. What do you find your writing structure is like? So do you, like, um, plot away time? Can you just sort of sit down and I'm clear 10 to 3 I'm going to write today and you sit down and write or do you have to be in a certain mood and, and get it going? Yeah, so I look at it like a job. Um, it is a job. So I get up early in the morning. Um, I used to get up at 4, 4.30. Now that I work out of my own house, I get up later, usually 6 or 7. Um, I meditate for a few minutes. I sit down and I start to write. I read what I wrote the day before. Uh, sometimes two days before, and then by the time I get to the end of it, I know where I'm going next, and I write from that point forward. Uh, and usually it takes me a, that little bit of time to get into back into the character. Um, so I meditate, I sit down, I write usually between a 1,000 and 2,000 words a day. So, you know, in a, I think that's an 80 or 90,000 word novel, so probably took me three months to get the first draft, and then, of course, you have to go back and rewrite, get my uh, once or twice, and then get beta readers, and you know how the, the process goes, um, and um, do the repairs a little at a time and over and over again, and by the time you start sending it out, you've probably read it three or four or five times, and hopefully it's fairly smooth and cleaned up and ready to go, and, you know, but yeah, I it I'm an everyday kind of writer. So every day, 365 days a year, I write uh, at least a thousand words a day. Well, you, you said your daughter is a writer, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just wondering how is it having uh, more than one writer in the family? And do you act as each other's sounding board at all, or anything like that? Actually, we do. Um, she usually is one of my first readers, and vice versa. I I read her books. She writes uh, fantasy under one name, and then women's fiction under the other name and um it's really helpful she's really really honest probably more honest than some of my beta readers who want to be nice um <laughs> you know even though they want me to know that there's something wrong they want to be nice about it my daughter's not like that she knows that 
it doesn't, it's not helpful. Um, and I'm the same thing with her. If we think something's off, we just say, you know what, this, this isn't working here. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what it is. It's just, I read it three times and it just doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is. Other times I, I can give her clues on what it is and vice versa. So she does the same thing with me. She'll read through a novel and, and let me know what she thinks about it, where she thinks I need to fix it. Um, yeah, she's one of my best beta readers, which is interesting. My wife also reads my books and typically will read Nicole's as well. But um, she's more, she's not a writer. So what she does is say, I like this character. I don't like this character <laughs> kind, of, kind of people. But that's perfect because sometimes um, in the side notes, she can say, I really I really don't like your main character right now. And that's really inf important information for me to know uh, because do I want somebody to like the main character all the time? Probably mm -hmm. not, but certain times maybe so. And if they make a decision that's really, really hard to take and I get that kind of a response from three or four people, I usually know I have to somehow support it a little better than I did reader's perspective mm -hmm. yeah when you finish a book like this um do you ever look back and realize any sort of change that you've made about yourself by writing this book yeah uh wow yes probably more than once i go into a book like this with um try i try to go in with an open mind and like I said, explore those moral values. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a, if it's against the law, it's against the law kind of person. I really am. So I'll look at the characters and I'll think, man, I, I don't know if I would have done the same thing that Ten did in here about uh, some of the characters. It may have been more difficult for me to kind of let them off the hook, but I can see the, I can see the point. You know, I can see where um, my my feeling of structure might be off sometimes, and so yeah, I try to I try to let each book that I write influence me as well. Again, I think it's about curiosity and always staying open, and, and so if I do that for myself, then I think it's probably valuable for me, and it allows me to see other people's opinions all all the time. Yeah, I, I guess you could certainly see how certain people come to their ways of life or their ways of believing by what they live through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes you think a little bit like, if I had gone through that, would, would it change my views too? And it helps us to understand all the other people out there, right? Because um, we don't all agree. We all have different personalities. We have different belief systems. And the more I can be tolerant of everyone else, the better. Well, kind of in the same vein, um, you know, you're talking about how you kind of become the character as you're, you're writing this character. Uh, do you feel that they, they stay with you long after you've written them? Yeah, some more so than others. So I've written a couple of books with Ten um, as the main character because of that because the, the character kind of sticks with me almost like I'm not 
done exploring this person yet. I'm not finished with this guy. Or somehow they're not finished with me. Um, other characters, after the book is done, I'm kind of done. You know, it's like, okay, I, I explored that character enough. Um, I should be okay. Um, it's interesting because sometimes it's like that with the character and sometimes it's like that with the idea. So if you look at um, Orson Scott Card's idea of um, milieu, idea, character, and event, mm. um, all four of those things I can, I can reuse if I need to. So one of my fantasies, uh, the, the Double Sight series, there's four books in there so far, and I might end up writing more. Um, it's about shapeshifters that can only shift into their Native American totem. Hmm. And the idea is so interesting and fascinating to me that I've written four books now with it and might write more just to explore other animal-human connections. Um, so it depends on the characters and the idea and all those things, whether or not I go back to it again and again. What do you do with your character? Like when you say 10 and you've used them in a few books, are you focusing on growth in that character? And do you sort of plot or outline what you're going to do with that person? Uh, I think each book, takes them in a different direction. Maybe it explores a different part of their personality. Uh, the more complex that character ends up being, the more different parts of the personality I can explore. Um, they don't necessarily go in a row. I think you can read any of the books in any order and still get the whole story. I think of um, David Baldacci. You know, if you pick up any of his books in a series. You can read any one in the series. And there's enough information about past books or whatever that you don't lose anything. And I like that sense about it. But they each kind of explore a different idea. Um, and I think that's what I'm trying, I drew with, uh, with 10 so far. Uh, so there's different aspects of him that need to be explored that aren't complete yet. Yeah, it's amazing. You spend a lot of time uh, analyzing the person that you're writing about, and they're not real. Yeah. Isn't it, though? I mean, when you think about it, we're a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's kind of insane, really. You're kind of going mm -hmm. on uh, about and some sort of analyzing or trying to understand what a character is, but they're not real. They're in your mind. Yeah. So, Doesn't yeah. it make you wonder if the, uh, you know, the whole theory about the universe <laughs> being, <laughs> being a hologram, or that we're some mm. video game and we're just part of that video game? It starts you to really wonder about all those things <laughs> when we're doing this. So I wonder if in some other place, maybe in my deep in my mind somewhere, that the character thinks they're real. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Doesn't realize that I'm making it up. You can go a long way with things like that. It's like uh, thinking about infinity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so our universe goes on forever. And the more you think about it and the deeper you get into that, the more difficult it is to wrap your head around. And so, too, right? Well, maybe, maybe you're just the character and maybe Ten is the real person. There you go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that, 
<laughs> See, that's a good idea for a sci-fi novel, isn't it? Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there you go. Where the yeah. whole book is this, this whole thing is this writer writing about this character and find out that the character is the real person. I like that. Oh, there you go. Use mm-hmm. it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I will have that in my notes, and you never know. It might come up with it eventually. Yeah, by all means. I, I advise writers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of them don't make it too. So, <laughs> so it, you know, this this last few years too, with the uh, stresses, uh, especially in the U.S. with um, you know politics and COVID, and and um, it just seems like it's kind of a little bit nutty at times. And um, I, I, but with that outside stress going on, like outside of your your house kind of thing um does that get into your mind and affect how you're writing or maybe if you write darker because of stressful things going on around you i think it informs me um so i remember a long time reading about you know when you're in the hospital and your parent is dying uh if you're if you're a writer you're taking note to what, how things smell and who's doing what and what kind of sounds you have and, you know, what emotions are being expressed. And, and I think that's what's happened with this. For me, um, I'm really curious about how people interact. So all the politics and the news stations and all, all the different sides, it's interesting to see who's saying what and why. Um, or how they're interacting with one another. Uh, the same thing with this whole COVID thing. Um, it's really interesting how it's brought out the aggressiveness of certain people to feel like it's okay to yell at other people. Um, you know, somebody who yells across the street, <laughs> they're way across the street, and they're yelling at you across the street saying, yeah, you got to put your mask on the right way, or you know what I mean? So you... <laughs> It's interesting to me, and I, I really take note in how we interact on a regular basis, because those are all the ways we get to do our with our characters. We get our characters to be able to interact in all those ways. So even though it took COVID to get people to that space, there are people who are in that space all the time, and I can write about that. Yeah, I think it makes me feel really comfortable about writing totally wingnut characters. Yep. Because, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of, you know, oh, I, I don't believe that. That would never happen. You know, the last few years, it's, like, <laughs> it's kind of blown that out of the water. Exactly. That's how I feel, too. And, you know, what do they say? You know, real life is stranger than fiction. It's about time fiction caught up. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, the way, you know, and, and I just see, because you don't even have to take sides. You just look at someone, you know, someone walks into the Dunkin' Donuts and throws his hot coffee on someone uh, for not wearing a mask and burns them. And then you've got the same person or not, a different person walking in the same sort of thing and and uh, punching the uh, clerk because she's saying you have to wear a mask. Just the way people behave with each other. It's amazing, like how far they'll go. And I think a lot of that is kind of something you go, well, no, people would never do that. 
but we're seeing it kind of happen all the time now. Absolutely. And all the people who are dragged off of airplanes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, some of them are funny. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. <laughs> some of the, you know, the guy that was on there that he was growling, that, like, this going to have to take him off. I mean, there's, there's just, you know, come on. There's, that, that, I think, uh, I think we're seeing so much more of it now. Maybe it's because of the internet and, and everyone's got a phone and you can see it now. Maybe, maybe this always went on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but it's everywhere right now. But you're right. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned the internet because that's the other place that's allowed people to be rude if they want to be rude. Um, or like we started this conversation at the beginning where, you know, people can say, well, that character was awful. And, you know, they can say anything they want um, through the Internet and through social media. Um, I always laugh because um, my daughter and I were talking the other day about good reviews, and bad reviews, and, you know, whether or not you should even read them. And I, I told her, I always look for the first five star to see what they say and the first one star to see what they say <laughs> to try to figure it out but after the one star i as soon as i'm done reading what they said about my book i go to one of my favorite authors and look at their one stars <laughs> and read those yeah. and i say yeah okay it's all right it's all right you know <laughs> everybody gets these one stars people are different but um we get to say anything we want right now and amazon and goodreads and um, you know, Bookstagram and wherever else, you know, people can can really pan you or not. And the sad part about that is it can and it, it may or may not affect uh, sales, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not always sure whether it does or not. I, I sometimes think that visibility is visibility no matter what. Yeah. If somebody, um, I had a review on one of my novels a while ago where it, all it said was um, too much cussing. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's great because that's going to appeal to certain people. <laughs> right? So it, you might have thought it was a one star, but somebody else is going to say that's pretty cool, and they're going to go there. <laughs> so yeah. um, you just don't know. You yeah. just don't know where you Yeah, I think it's. I think it's true. I think it's exposure is exposure. You really like interacting with people on, on um, social media and that or not? Yeah, you know, I I do to a certain extent. Um, I can spend too much time there, and so I I try very hard not to. Well, because I write novels in the morning, and then I have a regular job that I do the rest of the day. So my timing is kind of in between everything else. Um, I try to be on, and I try to pay attention and, you know, post from time to time. Um, I'm very much an introvert. And so it takes me a little energy to do things like that. And so I probably don't do it as often as somebody who's an extrovert. Um, but I try. I try to do it as best I can. That's all you can do. Um, okay. So let's talk about your website and how people can find you. How do you like people to find you? Sure. It's, it's just my name, www.terryperson.com. And um, you can find all my books on there. You know, it's separated into fantasy, sci-fi, crime, that kind of thing. Um, I also have 11 books of poetry out. So like I said, I write, I write pretty much anything and just love what I do. I just love writing. I, I like rewriting. I think that's the important thing for any author. You have to kind of like rewriting as well. Um, 
it's just a lot of fun. So that's the best way to find me. And of course, on Amazon, you know, just look up my name and all my books are on there. Um, right. Well, we have all that on the website as well, so people can find you with one click. And of course, if uh, if you're ever in Washington, people just see some schizo walking around talking to trees. <laughs> it's probably Terry. So that's right. Just remember, <laughs> you know, that's how that's how you find him. Just just yeah. you know, he's dressed up like one of the prisoners and and and, and talking about you know hacking and all that sort of stuff. Just be aware. Just don't get too close. Keep the distance. Well, wow. a lot of people would agree with that. <laughs> you know, better that than not. You know, so now the book is called The Right Thing, and you need to buy this book. And um, the author was our guest. It's Terry Pearson. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Terry. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.